welcome back to Who in Review, the show where friends yell over top of each other about a thing they love. That thing being Doctor Who. My name is Nick G, and today we have a very full TARDIS here to talk about the second episode of Series 12, Spyfall, Part 2. Here with me to talk about that episode is Nick Z. You donuts. <laughs> Chloe. I'm ready for a masterful recording. Carolyn. Ayo. Soph. Hi, everybody. And Evan. This one left me feeling very shaken and not at all stirred. So now that, so now that we have the full crew here, um, there are only about half of us, not, a, not about exactly half of us, who recorded what? part one of Spyfall mm. as we uh, have the return of the two-parters this season. Um, Yay, so just question mark. Quick, just quick, quick thoughts um, for Chloe, Evan, and Carolyn. Uh, on part one before we uh, get into part two. I know everybody is waiting for my, like, trademark negativity. That's why you're all here. But I, like, <laughs> genuinely enjoyed part one. I was, like, genuinely excited about the whole spy premise. I loved the reveal of the master. I think the actor playing the master is incredible. I was, like, like until they revealed him, I was like, man, I love this guy so much. Can he be the new companion? <laughs> and in a way, he sort of is. Um, my only criticism, and it's like an ongoing criticism, is I feel like, ugh, I feel like Ryan and Yaz are still being done a little bit dirty in terms of writing. Mm. And I feel like, um, I can't remember any of the actors' names, but Yaz's actress is better than the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, up Gil. You might even get Gil, yeah. And Ryan's actor is... Not. <laughs> like, I feel like Ryan's... He's like, he's a nice dude, but um, I don't quite think he's landing in terms of, like, the writing or the acting. Um, but overall, episode, very well done. I was, like, here for the cliffhanger. I was excited to see, like, week two. So, yay. It was like a, you know, the the odd-numbered James Bond movies. Huh. Is are they like Star Trek? <laughs> I it, think so. It's like it's like a Daniel Craig on the scale of James Bond movies. Yeah. Yeah. Carolyn. Me, little old me. Um mm-hmm. first episode, I am going to absolutely clash with what Chloe said about uh negativity. <laughs> I had a lot of negative feelings about this one. Like at first it was like, oh, okay, they're going in a different direction for once. They're doing something completely off the map, something they've never done before with Doctor Who. And then it became so very stereotypical. Like just every single little thing was so easily foreseen. It was tragic. It it fell flat for me. Interesting, interesting. Evan. Um, following much the same tone as Carolyn. Um I didn't have a lot of great feelings about this one. Uh credit where credit's due. Uh I, I think you guys pointed it out in the review for the episode, and as Carolyn just said, I as far as I know, the whole uh James Bond uh, you know, spy spoof uh, flavor. I don't think it's been done with Doctor Who before, and it doesn't do too badly. The two kind of go hand in hand. It's got that kind of camp, um, common ground. But 
Uh, much in the same way Carolyn felt. I, I felt like they were just ticking a lot of, you know, same Doctor Who boxes. Um, it certainly felt like it fits right into the cookie cutter of what a, a Doctor Who episode should be, I guess. Um, I, I think my biggest disappointment came around with, like, you know, as, again, Carolyn mentioned, it, it felt like we were able to call so many plot points well ahead of time, I was... He actually vocalized every single one. He was huh. just like, yep, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. A, and it, it sounds like a treat to watch Doctor Who with. <laughs> we are the worst hey. to see movies with. Just on the fucking cue. worst. On you cue. literally watched great. this most recent episode with me, and I did the same thing. I just... I just it, <laughs> I'm not used though. to being that far ahead of the ball. Um, maybe I'm using myself as the low mark on the, on the poll, but I, I just don't feel like it was terribly subtle um there were no surprises and when it comes down to it the the, the big uh, the big reveal um i i felt like and i think i discussed this with you g um i i felt like they kind of tried to pass it off as a more dramatic reveal than it really was um my prime example is going back to the tenant days uh, when we first saw John Sim revealed as the master and you can look back on the season or at least some of the episodes and see where the name has been popping up, where the prime minister's name has been popping up. And it feels like they spent some time kind of, however, artif- uh, like, sorry, uh, superficial it might feel, they spent some time kind of setting up for this reveal. Whereas I feel like they tried to get the exact same effect in the first episode of the season before laying any of the groundwork. Um like it, just the way it was executed, it felt to me like they were trying to get that, but you know, very cheaply. Um, and I don't know. I guess that's that just left me disappointed. Um, so yeah, I was looking forward to see how they close this one up, but it wasn't a great step off for a two parter. So I I understand where you're coming from. I've definitely done that before with TV, including Doctor Who. Where I'm just like, and this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. And you're right in that there wasn't a lot that was like blow away. I. I think the reveal of the master was because I had no idea it was coming. But isn't that more similar to like a classic series master reveal? It is. Mm-hmm. Especially his reaction. But I wasn't trying to predict it. Like, and it's, it's, it's not like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't set out. Oh, I'm not going to try and see what happens. I'm just going to let like go with the flow. It's just. I was feeling about the episode. I was just like letting it wash over me. I, I see where you're coming from. And, and honestly, that's usually how I attack most episodes. Um, if anything, I often feel like I come to these reviews without having put the the real thought into picking apart the episode as opposed to you know, my method. Yeah, we just sit down and kind of let it wash over us, as you so put it. Um, so I, I, I think I'm taking much the same approach. There was no intention to pick it apart. It just picked itself apart. Let's stick on the master for now. Mm. Um, because that is what this two-parter is going to be remembered for. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Like, regardless of what else happened in it, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about, like, the reveal's not as big as it could have been, one thing that's interesting about Doctor Who, because of the sheer amount of history, is that you could have the like the exact same guy playing the exact same kind of villain and he does the exact same things but you just take out like the tissue compression eliminator and the name master and people would be like oh, that was okay but if you just literally call him the master because it's a villain that has like 50 years of history in the show mm-hmm. then everybody's like holy shit <laughs> yeah 
Well, especially after the end of um, Capaldi's season, where Missy seemed to be no more, and yeah. like for real, no more. Like it was, it was left, it was left ambiguous, but it was left ambiguous in a sense. But you were supposed to get the sense that like well, that's it for the master. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, we know that's not true. Like, we know that's not true. They're never not going to bring back the Master. But that was the sense that they were trying to evoke at the end of Missy. It was played with much more finality. Yes. And then also, you know, we'd seen Missy grow as a character uh, into a Master that we hadn't really seen before in terms of, like, maybe is not as self-serving. And is not as, like, world domination-y. And now we've flipped back to a master that is, in a sense, like a classic master. Who's yeah. just like, oh, doctor, you're as ugly as you are. Stupid. Of course I got out. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we pointed out, too. <laughs> Anyways, also hottest master so far. <laughs> Fight me, internet. Yeah. Mm, no. I don't know. Delgado <laughs> still has a place in my heart. Hotter than Eric Roberts? Mm, wow. Only when he's dressed for the occasion. <laughs> right? No, but like for real. Like, I got thirst about this master. Okay. I see, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was so we, so we, as you mentioned, Chloe, we have the hard switch from Missy, who is like growing as a character and like we're kind of exploring this relationship and what's going on with her. And then you have this master, uh, Sasha Dewan. Who is like, is like being a, being a Nazi, being a literal Nazi, <laughs> and talking about I love killing people so much, like, and creating chaos and all that stuff. And then at the end, he's like, "Oh, but I have a message about Gallifrey." Like, are like the doctor's still paying attention after all that? Of course, that's like the whole dynamic. And also, like, he's like, "Oh, I got a message about Gallifrey." The message is "fuck you," <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. The message is suck it. Well, okay, going back to the finality of Missy, who's to say that mm-hmm. this master is the next incarnation? Maybe he's something in between. I mean, yeah, we, ta- we talked about that last episode. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't know from which point in the master's timeline this one yeah. is from. I mean, unless we unless they specifically say, "Oh, hey, remember when I was a woman two years ago?" <laughs> <laughs> And if I were them, I would not say that. I would believe it. <laughs> would be ter- First of all, that'd be a terrible line. The kind well, of line well, they keep giving fucking Yaz and... <laughs> right? God, the, the writing's so bad on them. I... I don't know if I have anything additional to say about that, but, like, honestly, I can't abide the writing on Yaz and Ryan. They need to, like, get rid of one of them. And then channel their efforts into making the remaining one better. Because, like, I feel like they made Yaz, like, intolerably stupid this episode. And then the show keeps wanting to act like she's not. Like, her first thought when they're, like, when um, Barton is, like, we're tracking you, is, like, I'm gonna call my family. Yeah. Really? Really, dude? Really? You're a cop. You're a literal police officer, yeah. and that's, like, that was your first thought. I mean, it's lovely in a sense that, like, oh my god, I'm so worried about my family. But, like, we're talking about this guy who has already established that he has extensive surveillance networks. And 
You're like, I wonder if my family's okay. Let me Let's... call them on my, like, Barton brand cell phone. <laughs> if I may piggyback on that, I, I mean, sure. in an episode where they're very specifically, like, nailing on all these, you know, stereotypes about spy, you know, all the spy gear and all the technology and everything, and they already know about all these tropes because obviously they know what James Bond is, and then mm. they don't know about you know, cell phone tracking, triangulation, all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, it just kind of, I don't know. It feels like they're trying to break the fourth wall at one, on one end and then, you know, play that card like, oh yeah, well, like how would the character know about this sort of thing? Kind of like, I don't know, walking dead and zombies, how nobody knows to call them zombies because nobody knows about that. Uh, I don't know. It just seems a little weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of one of those um, comments for society and whatever about how everybody has some sort of device so that they don't even think twice that they have their cell phones. And then it's like, oh, you're being tracked. Oh, crap. That's right. Cell phones can be tracked. Then they get rid of them. I mean, we had like the (laughs) the most like, okay boomer speech from. Oh, the monologue? Yes. Yes, the TED Talk? The TED Talk. Ah, The yeah. (laughs) From Daniel Barton. Like it was. Like like a sentence in, you're like, oh, I know exactly. I know where this, where this is, is going. going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what were you gonna say, hun? It- I was just gonna say that it's funny how uh, Yaz and Ryan seem to trade the stupid throughout the episode. <laughs> <laughs> because in that first that first instance where they're told they're, they're you know they're you're gonna be tracked, Yaz's first instinct is to call, but then later on when they're executing their their clever plan. To uh, track Barton's goons back to wherever he is, Ryan just tells them their plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I feel like they've got one writer writing both of them, and that person is stretched too thin. <laughs> and they need to, like, they need to cut one of them so that that writer can actually write one full character. It's I like mean, Graham's got a writer, and then Yaz and Ryan have to share. <laughs> I mean, um... I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe a mistake they made this ep- this particular episode, this part two, was we have the Doctor separate from the companions. Hmm. Because I feel like every time we went back to the Doctor, it was better, much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, all the history hopping was- is just more interesting inherently. That's true. Um, but I felt like that was even the way in the first part of the episode because Yaz and Ryan are separate from Graham and the Doctor. Right. Who then meet up with O, the Master, but like before we know it's the Master. Yeah. And I was so much more invested in that. Yes. And I did not give like a single shit what Ryan and Yaz were doing. Like at <laughs> all. I was like, they're going to bumble their way into Google and... And then, like, they're going to fuck it up somehow. For example, standing directly in the line of sight of the many yeah. visible cameras. Yeah. And then hitting but, the little thingy, because yeah. that'll work. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I You know, I don't have anything additional to say about that. It's just they're not being written well, and it is dragging down the show. Like, I feel like it's, it's dragging down the episode, because, like... Every time they're on screen, I'm focused on, like, how poorly they're being written. Mm. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, in in future episodes how that pans out. Because I, I have no idea if, you know, getting sole writing credit on an episode of Doctor Who means 
you alone wrote that episode. Mm. But maybe just with Chris Chibnall at the at the helm, whatever is going on like in the process that involves the head writer for the episode, he's just bad at keeping Yaz and Ryan well balanced. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's like the writer writes it and then the the head writer or showrunner edits it. But seeing as that's that's all Chris Chibnall for this episode, yeah. You get you get uh, the classic you know Moffat or Davies first draft sort of thing mm-hmm. where no mm-hmm. one is there's no oversight. No. Yeah, hmm. for better or for worse, and 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 that usually runs away with these kitchen sink kind of episodes where they're like let's do everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of just like they go to this place and meet these people and do this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, getting back like piling on to the whole uh, bad writing. Um, like I, I feel like they they missed a lot of good opportunities in this episode too, because um, because yeah the, the the best writing the most interesting stuff was the doctor, um, and as it should be I would say yeah and that then that's if the doctor's fair. not the most interesting character then like why are you writing like why is it Doctor Who true true but then take the cliffhanger I feel like the cliffhanger was a wasted opportunity to let the companions really sh- you know shine really show their strengths. And in the end, it was really just – and it's – yeah, it's Doctor Who. Of course, we could, we have a little bit of timey-wimey. She went back and set it up to make sure that they were safe. Cool. But I, I don't know. She Bill and Tedded it. Yeah, huh. pretty much. It, 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 it was a phoned-in deus ex machina sort of move where they had a perfect opportunity to let these companions show that they've grown since last season, right? Like, they're starting to ask more questions. That was good to see. They want some answers. They're not just – Happy to keep following her around blindly. Cool. But, like, what have they learned? How, you know, have they started honing their their doctor-like intuitions? And, you know, it, it goes kind of hand in hand with all this. Are they smart or are they not? Like, back and forth that we've been talking about. Um, We're really starting to feel the drain of, of uh, three companions. It's a lot to do. It's hard to juggle that many characters and make them all interesting. And I, I think maybe not true of every show out there, but certainly with this one, I, I think we we're all a, li- a little skeptical when we saw this many companions right out the front gate, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's key is like right out the front gate because with Matt Smith, at times we did have three like quote companions. <coughs> we had like Rory, Amy and River, but like, Amy had, what, half a dozen episodes to basically be on her own with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Rory got a lot of development after that because they'd already developed Amy so they could bring Rory in and then shine light on him. And then River was developed independently. So when she came in, she felt, I mean, yes, like, whatever you say about Moffat and, like, the way he wrote River, like, can be problematic. But <clears throat> she was she was written as a full character in the scope of the way Moffat was going to write her. Right. If that makes any sense. But like, yeah, so when it was all three of them, it was three fairly well fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly what you're saying, like trying to flesh out three characters all at once. Yeah. It, instead of having one three-dimensional character, we have three one-dimensional characters. Exactly. The same mm-hmm. number of dimensions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. The math checks out. The math checks out. The math okay. Uh, <laughs> So how everybody, how did everybody feel about the execution of the two-parter itself? Like the fact that the story was a two-parter. 
Like at, after having none in the previous series. This was a better two-parter than I think every two-parter in the previous series. Wait, there was there Oh, that's right. No, there was none. You're right. Well, it wasn't mm. the last two episodes I mean, like a pseudo two-parter. Okay. So, <laughs> never mind. Let me back up. It was better than most of the two-parters in the last Capaldi season, which had the three-parter, yeah. which was dire. Mm. Um, this was a, for me, good two-parter. Yes. I would, I would, I would, the, agree, with, I would agree with that. But yeah. I think a lot of that's dependent on if you enjoyed the first half. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> though, though the halves were not, like... The same. It wasn't the same kind of feel. No, we had different mm-hmm. tension. Yeah. It was yeah. definitely one of those uh, stories that had to be a two-parter, because I feel like if they tried to sh- cram everything into one, it, would have been, like, it wouldn't have worked. No, because they would have had to reveal the Master 15 minutes in, and that would have felt yeah. even less satisfying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, like, this one had to be a two-parter. And they did execute it pretty well. But, like, it, like any two-parter, the first one sets it up. And then, like, the second one isn't quite as impressive as the first one because the first one is trying really hard to impress. But the second one is just like, well, these are all the questions. Here are the answers. Mm. Well, I mean, looking... I felt that it was impressive, but... Sorry. Go on. Uh, no, no worries. Oh. <laughs> no, no, you... <laughs> uh, well, like, I mean, looking at it as a two-parter in the first part, like... It breaks down pretty neatly because you've got, like, Barton sort of being the villain for most of that first part, and then the reveal of the Master. That works out pretty well. And then in the second part, you've got the Doctor dealing with the Master, Yaz, Ryan, and uh, Graham dealing with Barton, more or less. So, like, in theory, on paper, it sounds like it should work out pretty well, depending on how you sort of handle the various things going on. But... I think it was just just a good two-parter, mm-hmm. like everybody's been saying. Oh, yeah. It didn't really do anything spectacular, just mostly because it seemed like, um, to echo the, the sentiment that everything with the Doctor was very interesting, but everything with the Yaz, Ryan, and Graham kind of wasn't. Mm. Um, the side, the whole thing with Barton just seemed to be, seemed to be there. Like, I guess you could kind of put one and one together. That, you know, like this guy who owns this big company, this big uh, communications Google type company, um, it's going to be very info-y and uh, it'll have something about people's personal devices or whatever. But, I mean, I guess the Kasavians are pure data Mm. and they're going to get into human bodies. Now that I hear you describe it, Z, I think we had too many like villains. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't agree with Barton that. really felt like an afterthought. Even the doctor says that. The show it's Actually, like, yes. Yeah, the doctor <laughs> what, what did she say? She was like like it's like a tenuous relationship or like how do you like manage all of that? And so but like just because the show itself puts a lampshade on it does not mean that it's fine. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um like Maybe we could have heard more about how Barton is super behind the idea of most of humanity turns into data, and he yeah. will be one of a small number left. Uh, like, oh my god, that seems like a big jump. Okay, am I the only one that got major Matrix vibes from that? Like, instead of them human population being batteries, they're just like hard drives. 
Yeah. Like that, mm-hmm. It just felt like that to me. I'm like, oh, hey, it's the Matrix, except hard drives instead of batteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but people being used as technology instead. Yeah. yeah. But even then, I mean, really, what was the Kasavian's motivation? Like, if all of the humans would have turned out like that spy we saw in the first episode who had, I guess, vital signs because there's the beeping in the background of the the hospital room, but um, zero human DNA, does that just mean everybody on Earth except for the select few mm-hmm. would freeze where they were, still have their heartbeat, but just hold these Kasavians? Like, what do they get out of that? Mm-hmm. It was never really addressed. Expansion. Mm. It, that's why they should have been Cybermen. The uh, whole thing should have been their turning no. them into Cybermen. The uh, Cybermen are the bodies. Yeah. No. Uh, we're tired of them. I had kind of avoid, like, I, I hadn't actively avoided spoilers or like trailers or whatever. It's just like it had been a really busy week for me, so I just hadn't really encountered it. I was at the gym on yesterday. Is today Monday? Today is Monday. Yeah, today is Monday. <laughs> um, so like Nick was going to be home in like two to three hours, and. The TV was on at the gym and they were playing like a coming up later tonight, Doctor Who episode. And they literally showed a shot of the Cyberman in this trailer. Ah. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Because <laughs> ah. I like hadn't had any. I was like thinking, oh, maybe it is the Cyberman. And then to see this shot of Cyberman. I don't know why they threw that in there. That is To they mess with you. The space Channel or something. Maybe and- they were just playing like. Generic Doctor Who footage. Yeah, probably. Maybe, because now I can't remember, but I was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Well, thank God that didn't happen. Right? And it could have up to the very, like, at any point during that, like, TED talk. Ah. I expected, like, Cybermen to materialize behind him. Um, (laughs) I will say that for the Kasavians, Kasavians, Mm -hmm. I think, um, they didn't... It wasn't like, oh, they're actually this. They were just, there were vaguely human-shaped pillars of light who are also portals. And I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got no problem with, with, with these guys. I'm wondering if these guys are, um, like, they're, we're not, they're going to be hanging around for the entire series. We're not going to find out anything real about them until the end of this arc. <laughs> I, I don't even sense... That they play into any more of this arc. You don't think so? I think, no. no, I think this is just... They were in this one. In in mm-hmm. a way, they kind of felt like Chris Chibnall's fan fiction of a Doctor Who villain. Because they I mean, felt like the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, when they're in the Eiffel Tower, and the Master's like, Oh, you know, they're everywhere. They've been everywhere forever. I was like, are these the fucking silence? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt like Chris Chibnall watched a bunch of Doctor Who episodes and then was like... This so I'm gonna make my legally distinct villain ah. who is mm-hmm. not at all the silence or the Cybermen. Um that's a little calmy, a little calmy. I mean I yeah. did I enjoyed them. I didn't I, think they were that that rip offy. I have I've been kinda of looking for a way to kind of force um the Time Lords into this somehow. Like it's some new form of like the Time Lords because Gallifrey has been destroyed now, you know. Um, That'd be cool. I, I'd By me, that. especially because the they seem to exist, yeah. you know, across all time and apparently space. Because you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I wasn't sure if maybe that's supposed to be something. You know, you, you know, we're trying to think about this from a data point of view. But like, what if 
like they are made up of concentrated, you know, vortex, you know, time vortex. And this is the form they take when they're not, you know, bound by whatever, ethri- or, you know, corporal form. I guess is what I'm looking I, for. That would be cool. I would honestly love that. That would be like a really interesting double cross of the master too. Yeah, especially because mm-hmm. the master's like in league with them. Yes, the, and yeah. he's like, but I'm going to double cross them. If it comes back around to the end of the season that they're like, no, we're actually double crossing you. That would be really interesting. Yeah. It's the most fulfilling thing I can think of for these guys. Otherwise, it's... I guess it's going to end up being like one of those things where they're going to give us the answer and it's just going to feel disappointing. Mm, I mean, I can see the Kasavians figuring into the timeless child thing. Maybe they are what created the Time Lords somehow. Mm, Maybe. It leads back to when we were talking about that space between uh, our dimension and the frog dimension. Like, why did that exist? Where did it come from? Maybe it's the same sort of thing with these guys. Could be. Like another sort of like pocket in between area. Well, because anytime the, the those big glowy dudes come into contact with someone, they get zapped into what I call like the the carpet world because it kind of looks yeah. like you're stuck in a giant carpet or like synapses or something, right? That maybe that's something. <laughs> I honestly thought um, it kind of. I thought it was supposed to evoke like the inside of a Dalek at one point. And I thought, like, maybe these are, like, weird Dalek soldiers or peons or something. I feel like that's as much of a stretch as anything else. Maybe maybe Soph is onto something, and what we're seeing is actually, like, the rug that makes up time. (laughs) All the little pulses of light... Well, all the pulses of light are are, are time itself passing through. I don't know. Like, nothing's in a straight (laughs) line. Time rug, I'm familiar, yes. The rug of time. <laughs> the rug of okay. time. <laughs> the time rug, okay. Speaking of the time rug. The rug of Rassilon. The bathmat of Rassilon. This timeless child thing. I'm super into, like, we're, like, I like getting into Gallifrey lore. I like that we, that we've set up an arc for the season now of, find, of finding, finding out this true secret. However, when the master started describing all of this like my eyes figuratively rolled into the back of my head it's all, it's, it's always the same kind of dialogue when they describe this shit the shadow proclamation yeah. it's just so it's just noun salad and just vague terms about everything i love it i i, I don't even hear the words anymore i'm just like okay this is arc setting up dialogue <laughs> like i'm I, I wish they'd say one thing that meant anything. Mm. Now, fine. <laughs> um, was, was the Timeless Child, when was the first time that was mentioned? Was it last season or was it, yeah, it was, was this a tenant thing? It was in Capaldi, like, I'm pretty sure. You know, the sure. Shadow Proclamation and the like. I'm pretty sure. Whatever. It was the second episode of the previous season. Okay. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was part of the, as you say, noun salad that was brought up a bunch in the tenant seasons. I believe it wasn't. It was something very similar though. The nightmare the child. The nightmare child. Yes, yeah. that was it. Oh. Don't ask about it. Don't ask for pictures of it, but it's definitely a thing that definitely happened and everyone was very I think in that that was the end of time where they just listed off a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And I think 
they were trying to emulate Blade Runner, the the speech that um, Dolph Lundgren gives in Blade Runner, Aww. which is actually using a similar technique, but it wasn't old hat then. Mm. Um, anyway. It's a it, nightmare child I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Anyway, I don't care for it. How many fucking children are running around causing havoc to There's the There's so many lords. children that have <laughs> ominous names instead I of real names. Where are their parents? <laughs> the ni- where are the nightmare parents? <laughs> oh, yeah, the timeless uh, mother and father. Nightmare parents are. Exactly. <laughs> Mama and pop timeless? Yeah. <laughs> okay, wasn't okay, there yes. something in Capaldi where he goes to the end of time where what's-her-face a shielder is and, like, she mentions yes. something like that? That was a fucking nightmare child if I ever saw oh, maybe, that. Was it maybe nightmare or was maybe, it timeless? Maybe, maybe it's a shielder. Maybe it's, she's the timeless yeah. child. Because no. <laughs> she is one, really. Let's be honest. I mean, could be River. Yeah. Um, I, that's pretty much could be Susan. It's Susan. Here we go. Here's huh? our new yeah. theory. Timeless child is Susan. <laughs> Here's our new theory to which the answer is Susan. <laughs> I feel like since... <laughs> it's always since, Susan. Since, the show came back to that people were like, oh, this is Susan. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. January 6, 2020. <laughs> Timeless child is Susan. We gotta get Susan in there somehow. Send me your residuals when I'm right. That's like <laughs> RTD wrote in a book that um in the end of time where there's like this woman who just doesn't say anything. Oh, that's next Susan. That's supposedly the doctor's oh, mother. Yes. Uh, oh! She just looks sad. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> you remember, we always make the joke Sorry. about, like, the whatever of Rassilon, right? Because they keep dropping that name. What if yeah. Rassilon is the timeless child? What I mean, it was, like, a Benjamin Button kind of backwards mm-hmm. thing. But I feel like we know about Rassilon. We know so Timothy much Dalton, about Rassilon. Right? Yeah. Do we really, yeah. though? We know he's got a lot of stuff. They've, I'm pretty sure they've met him. With Rassilon. He's been met multiple times on the show. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> Calling now Timeless Child is the Valeyard. The Timeless Child shouldn't be something else. (laughs) (laughs) It shouldn't be a character we've met before, and it shouldn't be another, like, entity. Timeless Child is canine. Ah. Hmm. Chameleon. Oh, man. It's chameleon, yes! (laughs) Chameleon, such garbage. Uh, No, the Timeless Child is Adric. (gasps) Star saved us all. No, he definitely had a time where he died. <laughs> so no, no, no chance it could be the Corsair. I, I don't know. Oh, hey. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm I... cheating a little bit because I'm trying to remember when the Timeless Child was was mentioned first. So I, I, the ghost, I did Google. It was the Ghost Monument? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, yeah, it was the Ghost Monument. Fighters. I was looking at the oh, quote yeah, the though: "The whole ribbons. existence of our species built on the lie of the Timeless Child." Yeah. Uh, it specifically says, "Where was it?" I was just looking at it. It's it, um, the lost, the outcast, something to that effect. Like the spooky ribbons. They're yes. talking yeah. to the doctor. About yeah. talking shit to the doctor. Yeah, I like those spooky ribbons. They were spooky. Yeah, they were. They they were teeth spooky <laughs> ribbons. <laughs> I like I like any any of the alien race of Doctor Who that doesn't just look like a guy in a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you did like the what were they these guys called again? the Kasavians? I was like the Kavorkian. It was a, it was a good hat. Ooh. You're close. Mm. Mm. Oh, here's the quote I'm thinking. 
The timeless child, we see what's hidden, even from yourself. The outcast, abandoned, and unknown. That that made it seem like the timeless child was the doctor. Y- yeah, yeah, outcast. But, I could see that. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Exactly. Because that's Here, what I was thinking with the whole Capaldi thing at the end of time. Yeah. Like, I thought that's where it was going. Because we were all theorizing, oh, is it uh, a shielder or is it the doctor? Or, like... It's the Doctor. The Doctor is the first Time Lord. The Doctor is a closed loop on themselves and had their memories erased before, hmm. like, the Hartnell Doctor. I mean, do you want to, something do you, to that effect. If you want to get into these weeds, check out the novels from the, the wilderness years when the show was off the air. When Oof. the seventh Doctor suddenly became like the most important character in Time Lord history, where it was like Gallifrey was founded by Rassilon, Omega, and the other. Turns out the Doctor is the other. Okay, so like Ooh. possibly they're just going to pull that into like show canon. Perhaps. Mm. Mm, man. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it all, the Doctor erased her own memory. Exactly. Of She's quite adept at doing that, by the way. Suddenly, yeah, since when? Uh, wait, could she always do that? I don't think she was using a machine or the screwdriver or anything. She just, like, touched people you on Just Vulcan mind meld. Like, well, fucking yeah. just... Yeah. Boop, done. I assume that was a reference to an older doctor, but... Uh, I don't remember ever seeing it, though. Also, what's with like the telepathy a... between her and the master? I think it's a Time Lord weird. thing. Again, sure? something I assumed was from the old series. I feel like Pertwee and uh, Delgado did that. Yeah. Possibly? I'm pretty sure they did. Because I thought they said something when they started doing it, and it kind of referenced to it being a long time since they'd used this ability. Or like old school or classic or something like that, yeah. 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 I think... But I I think we've seen the the mind erasure thing before as well, but Mm -hmm. and more recently. I feel like we saw it in like a like a Smith or Capaldi or maybe Tennant. Like a new new who. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually, more like almost more likely Tennant. Yeah, because he I feel was like the Tenet played specialist, a little... specialist doctor. Well, he mm. he was the one who could like you know use small amounts of his regenerating <laughs> energy or absorb radiation or you know like he could yeah, do all these strange little through. physiological things. That was just I'm a time lord, so because yeah, exactly. I'm a time lord. So, Fuck uh, you. I'm curious as to how people feel. Um, people who have seen the origins of this thing versus people who have not what did you think of the tissue compression eliminator and basically using the same effects that they used for 1970 which is just like a tiny figure yeah i thought that was awesome it was fun easy um great way (laughs) to stock up your doghouse or dollhouse for cheap i guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you're into that sort of thing um i Mm, i I don't know It, it it Again, a point that felt like a callback to classics that I am not, you know, aware of. So it's just kind of like, okay, cool. Mm. It would li- it, literally be it like, fit. <laughs> okay, that's that's good. It would literally be like the ma- the master would shoot somebody with it, and then it would be like a GI Joe was there. Or like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they at least made the effort to make like a little tiny figurine that looked like the person he just zapped. Yeah. Yes. But in the Actually, old you know ones, what? weren't they a little bit bigger? I think yes. so, but that was just they like were they were like the size of a GI Joe. Yeah, the size of a G- Yeah, that's what I thought. These Not ones the look the like Barbie. they're about that would have been too big. 
Yeah. These look like they're like one forty eighth scale, like like our really like tiny. our D D minis. I was gonna if say that the master box. can play D D later. <laughs> I've got a very yeah. expensive hobby that this would be perfect for. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's nasty. Because because with John Sim, <laughs> he was more made more of a mirror of the Doctor. He had a laser screwdriver. Mm-hmm. I guess they thought somehow the tissue compression eliminator was goofy or something. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty sinister. Show. <laughs> um, I mean, like with John Sim, they just went like full Joker with the Master. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And full Dragon Ball Z. Exactly. <laughs> and then they, I feel like with with this Master, they've pulled it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll ever go full John Sim again. I don't think so. Because like it's too much. It's too like. I think I think like, that I think they did a good job rehabbing John Sim in the Capaldi episode that he was in. Yes. Um, but I I like I like this portrayal of the master. Oh, me too. Like I don't I don't mind like a like a hand like a like a hand rubbing like maniacal master at all. Yeah. Um although it does make me a little bit sad to see the character development from Missy walked back. Like yeah. I know that this could be like this could be between John Sim and Missy or geez, between like Roger Logato and Anthony and, and Yeah, exactly. Like it could be between any master. He's the first master, like who knows? But the point is we as viewers are are seeing it in our chronology. Mm-hmm. And you can't help but feel like it's character development that's been walked back on. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Because yeah, Missy was has been my favorite master. Um, so it was really good, and she she still had like that that I don't know what, what is it? There's a certain insanity about it, but it's a little bit more like la di da, you know, I, I, maniacal. N- no, I I feel like it's it's almost like it feels more like fairy tale insane versus this new master's like coming unhinged insane. I I, I don't Missy know. Missy was more of a controlled chaos. Mm-hmm. The Brothers Grimstein? Yeah. It's like, like a neutral evil instead of a chaotic evil? She's just so him hum, you know, nice. And part of it is the female side of it as well, I, I think, um, is maybe what I'm picking up on in some way, where she was just very, you know, uh, kind of put on like an innocent, oh, who me? Did I do that sort of act sometimes? And it's just like very deliberate and very cheeky. And then. Like watching, vaginas are very powerful like that. I, 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 maybe. Well, what I mean is just that because like we've only seen one female master, maybe that's what I'm picking up on here. But like, I don't have a lot of other um, experience with masters. Like, I basically have John Sim, uh, Michelle Gomez, and and this new guy, right? And mm-hmm. I, I, I see what you mean about John Sim being jokery, but I could almost see this new guy being. Like a different take on Joker, if you want to look at it that way. Mm. Um, whereas to me, Michelle Gomez did it completely different from either of them. So it just stands out to me. I feel like she explored her feminine, femininity. If that's what we're going after. Hey. I think with all the masters, though, one thing is common. They all want the doctor's attention. Yeah. And they flat out say it in this episode. Yeah. He wants, he or she, whatever the case may be, wants the doctor's attention and keeps pulling this garbage because they know that the doctor's going to react to it. 
like, why else would they want to try and destroy all of humanity? Because the Doctor likes humans. Mm. Right? That's a good point. It's just, like- all the different masters, though, did it in different ways. Missy was trying to get the Doctor's attention and then was like, you know what, I'm going to try and be good and then maybe you'll like me better. But then, you know, that kind of thing happened. <laughs> I gotta say that this Doctor Master pairing has the least amount of chemistry we've seen in the new series. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. Like they don't feel like old friends. I, I mean, the the implication. I mean, I the implication, or at least what I I'm kind of referring to, is like sexual chemistry. Like you mm. could definitely see, like John Sim and David Tennant were written with like insane sexual chemistry. Like they literally <laughs> were like exes. And you know what? Number two, I'd put put Ryan Delgado. Yeah, that's fair. There's a lot of um, and then um, Peter Capaldi and Michelle Gomez came off as like like an old married couple, (laughs) but still had that like relationship chemistry. This pairing, like, I I I think I I think they're very afraid of getting anywhere even remotely close to that with Jodie Whittaker. I think they're trying to avoid it wholesale. And I think mm-hmm. maybe the chemistry did suffer as a result of that. But mm-hmm. I think that my guess is that is the directive. And that was a complaint I had about last season was like, I get not wanting to fall into a trap of like, the doctor is a woman. And so we need to, she needs to be a woman. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I also feel like the Flip side of that is the doctor is a woman, so she needs to be as not a woman as possible. Yeah. And I feel like that's yep. a symptom of of that kind of sentiment. I I, I don't think Chim has the capacity for the nuance that is required. Oh, so no, so they're just going entirely nope. You know, yeah. not like women at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's catch twenty two, cause yeah, you're you're gonna get people to bitch at you for making it oh, you're focusing too much on her being a woman and trying to chase that or you're focusing too much on her being a woman and trying to distance that and then even in the middle ground you've got you know what do you do then you just don't acknowledge that she's a woman and try to ignore it and you're going to get accused of well just avoiding the issue entirely then right um what what's the right move here i think the right move is exploring the relationship first of all get rid of ryan Make Yaz a better <laughs> character. No, no. This is yeah. the, the, it tracks. <laughs> we get rid of Ryan, make Yaz a better character, because then they have more time to focus on Yaz. Explore the relationship that they feel like they've planted a little bit of where Yaz and the doctor are like have a thing, like have chemistry. And then you can introduce the master. Like the master and the doctor can have chemistry, but then like different chemistry because we've already established that the Doctor's prime chemistry is with Yaz. Yes. Boom. Chris Chibnall, I'll take my royalty check. <laughs> I, I just want to point this out, and then um, I think we'll move to final thoughts. This was kind of dark, and and, and said it was just a bit of a weird tone for a minute. Now, the Master pretty much said he was using technology to make himself appear white to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, oh, I called them, told them you're a double agent, and I'm going to remove your technology, so they're going to find out you're brown, so they're really going to fuck you up. Yeah. That was weird. Mm-hmm. It had a strange feel to it, yeah. 
Like, well, you the know... other thing, too, would they even have recognized him? Because they thought he was something else the entire time. Like, how do you they go from being... Did. Right? He was right? in uniform, uniform, right? Yeah. Still. I, I mean, I, it still feels like a very strange thing for the doctor to be like, hey, yes. so good luck avoiding concentration camps and gas chambers and all that stuff later. Like... Mm. I mean, like, I didn't have a, pr- I didn't have a problem with. I told them you're a double agent. No, it's no. the, I, it's the, I gotta show them the real color of your skin. Say, like, and vis a vis, they're really gonna hate you, or yeah, you know. I mean, that's a good. They're not wrong. It just no, but it's just, it's a weird thing for the doctor to do. It's I, it didn't come off as weird to me. And I think it's because I see the Doctor and the Master as being on an even playing field. When the Doctor threatens to destroy, um, uh, when Tennant threatens to destroy the Lady Prime Minister's career, that came off way differently because it's the Doctor, this time-traveling, intelligent, white male alien thing. Like, and then this earthling woman down there mm-hmm. so that's totally unbalanced and that's like a huge power move that's like uh an intellion using snipe shots on the score bunny for all those pokemon fans out there <laughs> you know um, it's just way way too oh, you much mean what, you, what you did against top every single time yeah <laughs> i feel left out me too <laughs> don't worry about it but when the master and the doctor are there, it's like it's an even playing field, that kind of thing. Like, master got through it somehow. I I, I would have ended the episode differently, but but, but I think I think you just don't say that part. It was a little unnecessary. <laughs> the only way I could see same. it being okay is the acknowledgement that the master's obviously going to get out of it, and she would have to know that then, because she would never, you know, um. She would never condemn him to death. Um, but then you he, he also have to acknowledge that you know the Master is so very destructive. Um, what does that mean? What did he leave behind him in his wake in the years between when he got left in 1943 and when he shows up back again in the present? Um, and, and fine, if he burns Auschwitz to the ground, I'm sure nobody would miss you know the standing structures but mm-hmm. you know um like there's still a lot of prisoners and people around him who i'm sure he didn't go out of his way to help you know i i don't know i, I think it just raises questions if you dig too deep into it that get more and more uncomfortable to answer um mm-hmm. if you don't simply accept that she knew he was going to survive and try and leave it at that right I, he's like a cockroach he always comes back like, it's not dissimilar to, like, the Batman and Joker problem. Why doesn't he just kill the Joker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's because his particular moral code says, like, no. And it's, like, literally the same thing. Yeah, it's just, it's the same dynamic. So we're going to move on to final thoughts now. Cool. Sure. Um, and I will go first. Okay. There's been a lot of complaining in this episode. However, I genuinely really enjoyed this. And kind of touching on a bunch of other stuff we talked about, it, it, this had even more of a classic series feel to it. Uh, especially with the Master popping up and being 
not camp, but stereotypically evil. And even though, even though at certain points I was like, wait, what, what, what was the plan? What, what was this plot? And the, like, the interminable, like, oh, technology. I mean, there was a little bit where the doctor was trying to stick up for technology at the end. Where it's like, Ada Lovelace, you started the real biz with computers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, it was, I I kind of enjoyed the journey. And I really did like that we had two episodes to get this get, get this story told. Even if there were, there were parts a little bit deaf, um, spending a little bit more time with the characters, I've, I found payoffs. So, overall, a thumbs up from me. Z. Alright, I'm going to need both hands for this one. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, first hand, thumbs down. Oh, It's my right oh, hand. Boy. Because <laughs> I feel like... I mean, I, okay. The whole thing with Doctor Who, you know, every episode's written by a different person. Not written by a committee. It's not like The Simpsons where it's a room of writers. Maybe one rises to the top, so to speak. Um, or other network shows where it's like a room full of writers doing every episode. Nonetheless, it would have been like the pieces. A third episode would have been way too much. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like the pieces weren't quite written together in a great way. And I am talking mostly about how it was just sort of dull seeing Barton chase after Yaz, Ryan, and and Graham. But as much as everybody is sick of them, I still think it would have been really cool if, in the end... Uh, Chibnall had fully followed through with his this season's going to be a lot more dark uh, claim and had the Doctor fail. The Master's plan works. The Kasavians come in. You don't see any Cybermen or anything like that, but the Kasavians come into Earth. Um, The humans are more than just vegetable hard drive bodies for these things. And the episode ends with them jetting off into time and that's the series. So the first two episodes and the last two episodes are really like sort of a, a, a secret four-parter instead of just two-parters. Anyway, in and of itself, I thought the episode, this is the thumbs up hand, uh, I thought the episode had a lot of strengths. And unsurprisingly, yeah, they were mostly the Doctor's parts of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um it was cool to see Ada Lovelace and um, the spy, Noor. That was, like, really awesome. And especially at the end. Because, you know, it. I wouldn't say it was, like, too on the nose or, like, too obvious or anything like that. But when a show uses the past as a reflection on the present, I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And so when, um, when Noor asks the Doctor, will the fascists win? And the Doctor says not as long as there are people like you around that got me. And then later on, like moments later when the doctor is, um, is dropping off Ada Lovelace and she's like talking about all these computers and devices and machines she saw and the, uh, the doctor, you know, uh, erases them from her memory. Um, and then has her own little sort of short monologue there. That got me too. That was really well done. The whole Barton thing. I mean, I guess Barton is kind of a 
a hanging thing that could maybe feed into those last two episodes. Maybe he and the Kasavians are still still doing something. But, like, honestly, a decent episode. Kind of disappointing in, in the way that it wrapped things up for me. Especially Clever. because the Master is just, like, done already. Mm. I'm sure he'll be back. Is he? I mean, hopefully he comes back in a way that's meaningful and doesn't just show up in the middle of another episode. I thought you were dead. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Also, thumbs down with the writing hand, because the doctor solved all the big problems off screen. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm. Mm. Got it. Okay. (laughs) So, I typically don't like two-parters. I feel like that's kind of my, like, general sense for two-parters. And usually the reason why I don't like multi-part stories is because they're uneven. Like, you'll get, like, an incredible setup and lots of questions and then really dissatisfying answers. And I personally felt like this was a more even two-parter. Like, the stuff that worked really well in the first part paid off well in the second part to me which was mostly the master to be honest because there really were two stories like to me I felt there were two stories happening it was kind of like the doctor master story and then there was like the Barton and the gang story and the Kasavians were sort of the bridge in between which was a metaphor because they were also a bridge boom I figured it out ha (laughs) anyways so like on the whole I feel positive about this I feel like it's a better start to this season than the first episodes of the previous season were. Like, compared to, we're getting the reveal of the Master, we're getting the Kasavians, who could possibly come back, whether they are you know, rip-offs or like, um, too similar to previous villains is, is sort of not the issue, but I feel like this is a more satisfying set of villains for the beginning of a series than, say, Tim Shaw, who was stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that was great. I felt like, the as, as you were saying, Z, the history aspects were better handled this season. Like, I, I, I liked <clears throat> the history aspects. They felt less heavy-handed than the previous season, too. Mm-hmm. Because not only are we comparing the season to, like, the previous season, we we're also comparing it overall. So... This felt like a step in the right direction. I'm hopeful that Chris Chibnall is sort of getting his sea legs, but he really has got to figure that out. It's got to be better. He's got to sort out these writing issues because, mm-hmm. like, I, I was going to say this earlier when I was talking about, like, Yaz wearing, like, the stupid hat <laughs> in in this this episode. Like, Yaz and Ryan switching off on the stupid hat. It felt like something Rose would have done. And I feel like that's... I feel like that's inexcusable now. Yeah. Because Doctor Who has now been around for... 15 years. 15 years. And the amount of just increases or improvements in television writing in the last 15 years are incredible. And I don't think there's any excuse for a show that's on this long, that has this high of a profile to still be writing characters that stupid. 
Mm-hmm. So mm. that is my main neg- my main criticism of this two-parter is the unevenness of the writing. The Doctor is being written much better now. The companions are not. And they need to, like, they need to shit or get off the pot with these companions. <laughs> yeah. Because if they're not going to get any better, they need to be cut and let the ones that are still remaining grow. So, anyways, end of that is, like, uh, let's see. How do I rate this? <laughs> Two master TARDISes out of five doctor TARDISes, neither of which have chameleon circuits that work. <laughs> right? Actually, that's worse than I wanted it to be. Three master TARDISes out of five doctor TARDISes. I, <laughs> I just thought of two quick points. Mm. Um, two positive points I want to add. First, this episode and... I would say particularly this episode, not necessarily part one. This episode looked great. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a lot of cool stuff when the Doctor was having that conversation with Ada in the carpet world. And, and mm-hmm. you had both central shots of them. They were in one side of the frame. And it looked great. And mm-hmm. I feel like Doc, that's not something Doctor Who would typically do until more recently. Mm. Um when the Doctor and the Master were standing on the Eiffel Tower and you had, like, the Nazi flag, but then you had the spotlights going over them, that looked great. That was a great shot. Um, the TARDIS looked good. Like The TARDIS looked better this season. Yes. I don't know what they did because it still has those weird spider legs mm-hmm. on the interior console, but it does look better. I don't know if it's the lighting or if it's some of the set design, but yes. Yeah, I was going to say and they turned the lights on. <laughs> and the overhead shot of the Doctor and Ada under the floorboards was really good, too. That was yeah. good. That was that interesting. Was really good. So, yes. I really like the, the cinematography. cinematography in this episode. Really good. Second thing, you. This is the first time I feel like we really. Chris Jibble has really thrown Jodie Whittaker like. Meat? Like, yeah, meat. Yeah. Like, like, and the second she got it, she was there. Yes. Like, like, like she like had the little, little stone thing. She just like fucking threw it across the TARDIS. It was so good. Yeah. I want to see more of that. That's um, what I mean. It's like. Mm, the acting capabilities are there and the writing is not and it's so frustrating and that's yeah. what everyone was saying last season was like oh I'd like to like Jodie Whittaker but the writing's not there <laughs> yes if you are giving her good writing and good direction yeah. she is going to be a good doctor so yeah. let's give her that <laughs> stuff let's give her something to work with right oh. <laughs> Carolyn yes yes um as Raoul said in Skyfall, well, first time for everything. That's that's pretty much it. There there was a lot of firsts in the last couple of episodes, and um, they did a lot right. Um, but there were a lot of moments where it was just so staged, so obvious to viewers. I don't know. Maybe it was just because this guy was next to me watching the episode and calling everything. (laughs) But um, it definitely lost some points on that. Um, But I do like the points that you just made, G, about the... uh, Cinematically, it it was a beautiful episode. They definitely did a lot of stuff with not a lot of time. And I think... I think... That should be um, commemorated 
uh, appreciated. Commended. Commended. That's the word I want. Mm. Commended. And um, for those points, um, I'm actually just going to kind of wiggle my fingers at them. Spirit fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Jazz hands. Two jazz hands out of two. Yeah, two jazz two jazz hands out of two. There you go. Mm. Uh Soph. Alright. So there's an aspect that I like, an aspect that I do not like, and they're kind of in the same category. And that's the role of women in the story. So the one that I do like is how they go back in history and it's you know, oh, this is technology and computers and, like, the whole start of things, the whole ball rolling, and it isn't, you know, white men, it's women. That I appreciate. That made sense. They weren't just twiddling their thumbs wondering, you know, WTF nights. <laughs> they actually helped the doctor. The thing that I didn't like is that apparently Barton's character centers around the fact that his mummy didn't love him enough. Like, wow, okay, so, I'm sick of this trope. I am sick to death of this trope. I, you cannot excuse the actions of a person for being a douche because their mom was a jerk. Like, I hate that. They did that in The Joker and everyone's raving about how The Joker's so amazing. It's like, no. You're trying to excuse his actions because his mom wasn't great. Oof. Ugh, I hate that. I hate it. I'm so tired of that trope. And, and like it was the, not done well in this episode. No, and like the fact that they find her there, like he killed his mother <sighs> and just left her there. It's like, yeah, because he's a douche. <laughs> that was that was kind of just, fucked up. I, I, I hate that trope. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. So like, woof. Right. Uh, so yeah. I'm with Z on this one. That it does get one thumb up and one thumb down. Okay. Okay. Uh. Last but not least, Evan. Okay. Um, I started this episode outright basically saying I didn't enjoy this. Um, <laughs> and I I don't feel there's any way I can turn that review around. Um, I, I will say in terms of positives, um, I have frequently shared chloe's outlook that (laughs) these two parters are often disappointing on the second beat um i feel like that drop off was not as substantial here in fact i may have enjoyed the second episode more than the first in this case um but that still doesn't come away from the fact that i don't feel like we've got anything new here we haven't solved any of the problems we had uh, last season in terms of writing and character usage as we've so thoroughly covered today. Um, mm. And in, I, I I feel like, again, uh, credit to Chloe on this one, I, I feel like you nailed it on the head when you said that they need to basically get Ryan out of the picture, rework Yaz, and I, I, I have mixed feelings about Graham. He makes uh, a good you know, uh, comedic uh, distraction from time to time. And uh, on others, he kind of overhams it, and I'm not sure I appreciate him. Mm-hmm. But it, it just feels like they need to gut just about everything except the Doctor. And 
I didn't, maybe it's the writing staff that's the problem here. Maybe they need to get some new blood in. I, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe our showrunners are uh, just not will, up to the job I will, anymore. I will say this season we do have three people writing on the show that have never written on the show before. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Yep. Um, but, I mean, this was Chibnall. This, this, these two episodes were Chibnall, which is we, we know what we're getting with him. Uh, so, so there's hope for, you know, uh, the rest of the season. Hmm. But, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not uh, throwing du- uh, dirt on the coffin yet, but, like, I need to see a significant turnaround here to continue to have faith for the future of this franchise. <laughs> it's not a good, you know, first pitch in the game. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I oh, I will. Here is a positive. Um, and you know, this by whatever uh, misunderstanding or miscommunication on my part, I was totally expecting a Christmas episode, like an actual, you know, oh. robot Santas with rocket launchers or something like that again. <laughs> sure. And I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't that. So. Yeah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. There's a positive. It wasn't a Christmas episode. (laughs) And with that, (laughs) (laughs) okay, that wraps up our review of Spyfall. All of it now, both parts, Uh, and we'll be back next week to cover um, the very mysterious Orphan Fifty Five. Ooh. Um, so thank you much thank you very much for listening I uh, hope you enjoyed Doctor Who and this episode of Who Interview and we will speak to you next week goodbye everybody bye later days bye 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 bye